This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that, who have gone through the dark times and through those moments allowed their light to shine bright. I'm your host, Dr. Vic Manzo, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me as we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. This show is sponsored by Empower Your Reality. Empower Your Reality is an online consciousness school that is designed to help you elevate the mind, raise your consciousness, your vibration, to attract and create the reality of what it is that you desire. On Empower, Empower Your Reality, we have books, we have online classes. You can find the podcast here on there and other things that can help you elevate and truly learn the art and the science of creating the reality of what it is that you want to experience in your life. So for more information to check out all that we're up to and what we're doing, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. Now, back to the show. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Vic, and you're listening to another episode here on The Mindful Experiment. As each week, we have someone that we interview to share some concept of the mind, life, how to level up, raise your consciousness, and so much more. This week, I had the distinct honor and pleasure to interview Tom Austin. We had a great conversation. Uh, We talked about one of my favorite icons in sports, Michael Jordan. We talked about the psychology of Michael Jordan, why he was who he was, his strengths, weaknesses, and so much more. Um, To talk a little bit about what Tom and his little bit about himself. Um, Tom is the developmental psychologist and he was the co-founder of and one. I thought that was very cool. Uh, cause I was a big and one fan back in the day. Um, and he's also, uh, it's a basketball brand that grew famous for its trash talk t-shirts and became a cultural movement in the late 1990s and early two thousands with professional players tattooing the logo on their bodies. Netflix is actually coming out with a documentary about this movement in early 2021. Um, Tom has 
also, he is a serial entrepreneur and the CEO of the mental fitness platform, Confidently. Um, and so you can check that out. We have all that information in the show notes, but we discussed a lot about psychology. We got into his Confidently uh, platform. We talked about the five elements of core pillars of the Live Confidently model. And we, we discussed a lot of different things when it comes to like working memory and how to you know level up in your life in different areas. So this was a, a really great conversation I enjoyed having with Tom. I feel like I could talk to him for quite some time, uh, especially when we got into the psychological aspects and so much more. But with no further ado, I want to hear share this wonderful episode I had recording with Tom Austin. Tom, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you on. I always love doing my due diligence with uh, in people I'm going to be interviewing, and I love what you're up to. I have a lot, a lot of questions, and I'm looking forward to the conversation of just diving into confidence and all the stuff we were just talking a little bit about beforehand. So uh, before we get into all that stuff, I always love to ask the questions. My listeners know this very well about what is your story of how you got into what you're doing today, you know, and how how that journey develop? Yeah, so for me, I mean, everyone's story, your story really, I guess it starts with your your parents and, and your parents' parents and all that, depending how far back you want to look at it. Like, uh, um, but for me, if I'm looking at what I'm doing now, you know, so the last two years I've been working on a project called Confidently. I've been working uh, in the sports psychology space and applied kind of psychology space. And how I got here is I was always on teams, you know, so I grew up playing sports. I grew up in small town, New England, um, you know, Westboro, Mass, Nashua, New Hampshire, primarily. So these are places with 20,000 people to 100,000 people. And sports was just a huge part of my life. And um, team was just a huge part of, you know, what I loved about sports. I played team sports, not individual sports. And it just gave me this sense of like a collective identity and being part of something bigger than myself. And that's just something that always really resonated with me. Um, You know, I wanted to play in the NBA. I wasn't good enough and uh, not even close to good enough, but uh, I was good enough in my mind, (laughs) but not talent wise. And so, you know, as I went off to school and I was kind of looking for my identity, once I got into college, so I was recruited by some small schools to play. I got letters from a few division one schools, um, but it wasn't really serious interest. And, and then I was recruited heavily by schools like Williams University, um, or Williams College, um, which is a D3 school that plays against Amherst and stuff. And I ultimately ended up deciding to go to uh, University of Pennsylvania. You know, it took me a couple steps to get there. I went to uh, Holy College of the Holy Cross first and then tried to play basketball there. I was on the JV team. They had a you know, top 25 ranked team then. And I realized I, I wasn't good enough to play there and they weren't even like, you know, a top, a really top uh, basketball program. But I, I realized I wasn't really athletically gifted enough to kind of play there and ended up transferring to university of Pennsylvania. Um, and I was really looking for like, what was next for me? And I spent most of my college years, you know, playing basketball and uh, going to class. And so pretty much in that order. So you know, most of the people I knew were basketball players and I ended up connecting with, uh, with an MBA student there, uh, Seth Berger. Um, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. You know, I, I had always taken kind of the path of least resistance on the work side because I had no kind of driving passion at that point for what I wanted to be professionally. And so as I started to get towards the end of my college years, I, I really kind of had no plan um, for where I was headed, but I had this business degree very good grades and stuff. And I ended up connecting with uh, Seth and he was working 
own a startup in the basketball space at that time called the basketball marketing company. Um, so, you know, that was, it seemed like a good deal. I got to wear shorts and a t-shirt to work. I got to stay involved in basketball. And, and so, you know, I basically went and did that. Um, and over the next like 10 years, we ended up growing that into, into like a $200 million plus business called M1. Um, and I saw a lot of the, a lot of the things that I loved about that experience, you know, there, not everything was great, but a lot of the things I loved was just this sense again of being part of a team. Like it was, it had this feeling of like a sports team and this family. Um, and so we were able to take on these big challenges together, try and compete against Nike and Reebok and, and Adidas and, uh, and try and win in this space against these multi-billion dollar companies. And, you know, for eight, nine, 10 years, we were actually really effective, um, you know, before the wheels kind of came off a little bit. Um, and so when, when that kind of finished up for me after about 10 years, we ended up selling the company. And uh, I was really burnt out. I, I had like really run myself into the ground and, and made a lot of classic kind of founder mistakes of, of overwork and not building a strong enough organization um, around me and, and like micromanaging, doing too much myself and all these things. But when that was done, I was kind of looking at for like, what do I want to do next? And I had, I had lived in Asia at that point for off and on for about six years and like Eastern culture had been really, really interesting to me. I got super into meditation. I got super into to yoga and, and like yogic philosophy and Qigong and all these things. And I uh, ended up spending like a few years, you know, 20, 30 hours a week, just kind of studying this stuff and going around with different teachers and stuff. And uh, I was really just trying to figure out what do I want to do next? And I was at this transition point where I was like probably 32. Um, I was with the woman who was going to become my wife. I knew I kind of wanted to have a family and that was like a really big deal to me but I wanted to try and give back. And uh, so I ended up going and, and getting a master's in developmental psychology, which was also at UPenn. And uh, I was thinking that I was going to go try and reform the education system and, and work inside the system and, and, and do all these big things. But I realized that that wasn't really kind of the, the right fit for me. Um, you know, I was much more of an like small team kind of guy working environments that are less structured and much more kind of a startup kind of guy. And then I ended up, so out of that, and then I had been design director at M1 of, of footwear for about five years or so. And I love working with the creative teams. And uh, so I also ended up making all these like film projects and stuff. And uh, I ended up at film school um, at USC out here in Los Angeles, which is what brought me out to LA. And, uh, you know, originally was again, looking at kind of social justice films and, documentaries and just like real human stories to try to understand people. So I had this like six or seven year period where I was becoming a father and really kind of looking at how identity forms, uh, Western psychology, Eastern theories, uh, and then kind of the art approach and looking at identity from through the lens of like art and stuff. And uh, all those things eventually ended up to me connecting with, uh, you know, my two partners now, Amy and Alex. So I'm working with Dr. Amy at, Athey, who's down at uh, a chief wellness officer at University of Arizona and a uh, sports psychologist who works with people like uh, George Ameline, who's an Olympic runner and, and all these teams. Um, and then Dr. Alex Auerbach, who is up with the NBA's Toronto Raptors, who's, you know, their head of sports psychology. Um, so I connected with them a couple of years ago. It was probably uh, 2019 or something. Um, I'm not even hundred percent sure right now. And we just we just started initially, we're looking at this problem around uh, how can we use a chatbot to really automate what they do 
you know, there's only, there's only a few hundred of these sports psychologists in the country that work with people to kind of be their best self around goal setting, motivation, self-care, self-compassion, um, you know, connecting with others, all these things. And, uh, it's, and they're very expensive. It's hard. So it's hard for you to find someone that can actually like coach you in these things. And then it's, even if you can find someone, they're probably really expensive, you know, hundred to $300 an hour. Um, and so we got together with this mission of like, how can we actually automate what they do um, and give people this chatbot, this interactive chatbot. So everyone can have their own, you know, 24, seven, 365 personal coach in their corner. That's helping them kind of be their best self. Um, so yeah, those are some of the things that kind of led me to where I'm at. <laughs> That's pretty cool. You've had a pretty cool journey. I mean, and one, I remember them back into, you know, back in the day uh, when I was a little bit more into basketball and so forth. That's pretty cool. And uh, you know, you, now you created this whole, this app called the confidently, right? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I mean, N1 was an amazing ride. It was my first real work experience. I had never done anything before that other than, uh, you know, bus boy, <laughs> like wait tables, those kinds of things, summer jobs. And uh, and so M1, I ended up being the head of footwear there. I ended up growing that department to over $200 million. I mean, it's a pretty amazing, pretty amazing first uh, first gig. <laughs> yeah. Then, confidently, we're really trying to build a platform. So, you know, to solve this problem, we realized we had to build some tools. So our app is not really, our, we have a couple apps and stuff, but they're not our main product. Our main product is actually this, uh, we've actually built this like platform that enables anyone to, to code chatbots without coding. It's a visual drag and drop builder um, that we built internally for ourselves so that you, you can build these dynamic chatbots and systems of chatbots and stuff visually without coding. And now we're really working on these products around like teamwork, leadership. Uh, we have a product around get support, which is bringing psychological first aid to people, um, you know, given everything going on with COVID and just general like levels of stress and anxiety. Um, so we're going to, we're looking to like automate some of these therapeutic type uh, interventions, like clinically proven interventions. And then we're also looking to take like high performance psychology and a lot of the stuff that exists um, that, in, that a consultant might do or an expert practitioner might do and really build like expert systems. Um, and then long-term we're really looking to move in and, and work kind of with, uh, with influencers, with authors, with experts that have kind of systems and help them bring those systems to, to larger and larger audiences. I love that. Now what makes, you know, um, I'm a big fan of Michael Jordan. Uh, always have, I love his mindset. I've studied him. It's, it's just amazing. How is it that, you know, what makes a difference from an athlete to have this higher level uh, mindset from a psychological standpoint compared to others? I mean, like, is it just gifts? Is it something that everyone can have to a certain degree? I mean, how does that work? Yeah. I mean, everything's a combination of kind of your natural disposition and everyone has natural strengths and weaknesses and then training and, and kind of what you learn. So, you know, if you look at, we have a model like live confidently, which basically has these, these five or six core buckets. So you have your, uh, thrive skills, which is positive psychology, like motivation, optimism, and resilience. You have these perform skills, which are how you actually manage high pressure situations. So this is the ability to focus and refocus and energy regulation tools. Um, and then you have develop, which is around goal setting and reflection. Um, and there, and there's tools in there. And then you have sustain, you know, which is how you take care of yourself, sleep, rest, recovery, self-compassion. And then you have the connect bucket, which is really, you know, how do you build a support network? Um, 
how do you use that network or leverage that network to kind of stay connected, um, gather new insights about yourself, about, about your domain. Um, and so that kind of merges into team maybe, and we have like all these team, team and leadership models and stuff. So, you know, some people are just naturally, naturally more gifted in, in, in a given area. Um, you know, from, from Michael Jordan, frequently like there's a saying in art that your greatest if you develop a character like in screenwriting like your greatest strength is often often your greatest weakness right so you know if you have someone like michael jordan he burns like white hot on the competitive side and he's incredibly good at using uh at staying at locking in um you know mentally and, and being really focused and not getting distracted and, and really high pressure situations knowing what's really important um but that's also like a double-edged sword you know it's it's part of what contributes to to burnout and, and like why he needs to take three years off in the middle. And I mean, you know, obviously there's, there's a death of his father and other things associated there, or why he may chafe other teammates that aren't as committed like the wrong way. So depending on your environment, like if you're in a foxhole and you have one game to play for your life, that's like a great, great personality trait. But if you have to sustain an organization for 10 or 10 years, it's, it's a little bit harder to sustain with a, uh, if that's your, if that's your management kind of leadership style, um, you know, that's, that's very much like his leadership style while it was really, really effective. And like, I admire him, obviously, you know, he's, he's the best basketball player I've ever seen, but uh, it can also chafe. Um, it can also chafe and kind of wear and be abrasive. If, if you have like a, an organization that's, that's not a sports team um, and not like a single game or a single season. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, you have your strengths and weaknesses in there and then you work on it, but there's also, is it more important than to have a more balanced approach to those? Like, how do you kind of keep them in balance or, cause like I could, I mean, I, as you know, just as I do with his career, you know, he, he's that very high performance kind of individual pressure can handle things, take on, go to the over extreme when he's exhausted. I mean, he could score 40 something points while he has the flu. I mean, that's just yeah, exactly. fascinating, right? In a playoff <laughs> game, right? Not like a regular exactly. season game. And, and it seems like he came through whenever it mattered most. I mean, the, the research literature says there's no such thing as clutch performance, like people that try and verify it uh, statistically. But if anyone watched Michael Jordan, you, you believe in clutch performance. <laughs> totally. I mean, and I, remember, I grew up playing baseball and it was one of those things where I loved having the pressure on me. Like if this is a clutch moment, I'm like, let me have it. I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll, I like the pressure. Um, and I think that's just, again, again, comes to that, that, and again, I studied Michael Jordan, even as young. So I, I, I try to take on his traits as much as I can, uh, when it came to mindset and, and all that stuff. So, but I'm assuming though, you, you want to keep it in a balanced state as much as you possibly can and work on your weaknesses just as much as your strengths, or is it more of just, you focus on your strengths and that's just, you know, and that's it. I mean, how's that work? Well, it's like this, right? If you play baseball, the main thing you want, first, you want to understand what works and why things work and have a process of improvement, right? So if you know, like, if you just go and try and become a better hitter, you might put in hours and hours, but you're not going to be necessarily become a better hitter. If, if someone teaches you, look, here's what you should do, Vic, you should, uh, you know, here's your swing, let's break it down, let's watch some film, or let's do some mirror-based swings, and okay, let me analyze some things for you to work on, and you have a core development plan, okay, let's put together some drills that can help you with some gaps in your swing, like, okay, so, you know, we're going through deliberate practice, we're going to set the tee up, we're going to do inside pitches, and work on pulling your hand in, and now you're having a little bit of trouble with this outside, you know, outside pitch taking it the other way, so we're going to focus on that, and now here's these core dimensions of like swing mechanics that we're going to have to work through. And you have this little hitch here. We have to do that. Let's try this other thing to get you better vision on the pitcher from release. 
So if you're working with someone that's giving you a framework and a process and helping you understand what deliberate practice is and helping you decide on a core set of drills at any given time that are going to be effective for you at that time to kind of like close some gaps or, you know, and it may be mental, like here's some mental tools, here's some imagery I want you to do. You're facing this picture. You've had a tough time with them. I want you to do these mental imagery based workouts, you know, to, to kind of visualize yourself taking their outside pitch the other way, because that's how they've been beating you. And then we're going to do some T-based work. And then I'm going to give you some self-talk. So when you go in the box, anytime you find your mind, start thinking about, man, this guy owns me. You're going to go back to this, you know, self-talk, self-talk routine about, you know, see the ball, like what balls outside, drive it away or whatever. You're going to have this little phrase that you say to yourself. So like everything works together and you have this coordinated set of tools. And so that's what a sports psychologist really would help you do or performance psychologist. You know, these people work with, uh, like my partners work with leaders, they work with businesses, they work with teams, they work with military. Amy does a ton of work with military first responders. Um, so when we look to automate something, even if you're Michael Jordan, there's some point in time where you have some doubts, you know, maybe it happened at North Carolina, maybe it happened in the eighth grade, maybe it happened when he's a GM for the first time, but there's some points in time where all of a sudden you don't know the best path forward. And it helps to have a framework, a set of tools that you can go back to and apply consistently that will help move you forward and, and like foster growth. You know, even as great as he was, there's definitely areas where he could have led differently or, or potentially, um, you know, uplifted or people around him in a little bit different way. Um, so we really try and give you the tools to create, you know, set your goals well, have these high performance tools, be aware of them, find the right tool at the right time for where you're at, have a continual like reflection um, in, in a structured, organized way so that you continue to grow, you know, so everything is a series of experiments and growth. Time I needed you like 20 something years ago is the way you just broke that all down so elegantly. Uh, I could have used a lot of that work. Um, that's <laughs> awesome. But I appreciate you taking it in that context because it is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a full framework of looking at every aspect of it and, and how to approach that. Um, I love that. You brought up some of that inner talk or trash, you know, talk that you have in the mind, you know, you, like if you're in a batter box. Um, what, how do you define what trash talk is? Um, and, and, and how can that, is that something, cause I know growing up, we did a lot of trash talking back and forth and sometimes we did it to the other team. Uh, I was one of those guys who took that and used it as motivation, but I'm curious to know, um, you know, what is trash talking can, is that something that can derail, uh, an individual, not just an athlete, but just anyone in general, um, or can that empower them? Yeah. So trash talk, you know, for, for people that don't know, so M1's first big success was trash talking t-shirts. Um, it was in 1993. Um, we sold like 1.6 million or something, and then six million dollars the next year of trash talking T-shirts with all these slogans. Um, you know, the idea is funny, witty, like what you would say if you had the time to think up stuff. Uh, but there were slogans like uh, "Call me the bus driver because I take everyone to school," or "I'm sorry, I thought you could play," or "Here's five dollars, go buy a game." Um, so that's how we originally broke in. And so in terms of like trash talking from a psychological perspective, there's a couple of things, you know, if you look at someone like Muhammad Ali, he's, he's considered maybe the greatest trash talker of all time. He did it for a couple of reasons. He first, he realized, you know, this, I guess the story goes that he was at this professional wrestling match and, the, and uh, you know, the, uh, the, the crowd was just packed and everyone was into it. 
And he just realized, look, this is all a show. And like what we're doing in boxing is a show also. And if I can make this more of a show and a performance, then, uh, you know, more people are going to show up. If, if there's bigger than life villains and heroes, then uh, there's going to be more audience engagement and participation. So he was using trash talk, you know, to, to really kind of build this like audience, this engagement, this mythic sense of like heroes and villains. Later in life, he talked about, uh, I think it was uh, Joe Frazier, you know, that he always regretted that Joe Frazier took it like really personally and, and was like really hurt by it and stuff and, and never was never kind of was in on a game. Ali says when he was younger, he kind of assumed that he was in on a game, but that he, he wasn't and he kind of regrets that. So, you know, in terms of how people use trash talk, you can obviously use it to, to motivate yourself and get yourself going. Um, but there's lots of stories of like players that trash talk Jordan and, and, it, and it really backfired on them. <laughs> and then generally, you know, so it's, it's kind of used a couple of ways. It's, it can be used to bring people together if it's like funny and humorous and it's a sense of connection. So there's like a great scene. And remember the Titans, if you've ever seen that movie, there's this locker room scene. And they're all together. It's uh, about the integration of an African-American football team and a white football team um, based on a true story. And at first, the players just hate each other. Right. And they won't cooperate. They won't get along at all. And then there's this period of time where they're starting to develop some trust, like coming off this tough training camp together. And then, uh, you know, one of the African-American players uh, starts trash talking to star white linebacker with some, you know, the dozens, basically some of your mama jokes and uh you know, the player's pissed off at first. He doesn't get it, but finally he like gets the game and they all kind of bond over playing this game and stuff. So when it's done well, it's like it, it actually can in, in a certain environment, it can actually be used to create like psychological trust among a team and like more authentic communication and less, less kind of self-centering and just more willingness to speak kind of truth to power and having kind of fewer barriers. But when it's done poorly uh, or for different reasons, it can really belittle and kind of you know, take away someone's self-esteem and kind of their agency. Um, so it, it kind of depends the, on the purpose and how someone's using it, but you can definitely use it to kind of, you know, take someone's heart as they say, um, which is not something we would recommend as like a healthy team practice, <laughs> but it's the way it's been traditionally used. It's like kind of a form of verbal combat, but it's also, it's also used to really create like brotherhood and, uh, whether that's uh, between men or between men and women or whatever, but just this, this feeling of camaraderie and psychological trust and, and, and connection. Um, so, you know, those are some thoughts on that. I love them. I, I, I remember the days of trash talk and it was always great because, you know, you can, it, I always, it always can reveal the weakness of your opponent because we would use it sometimes for against the opponent to get in their heads. And I was always like, I remember when my teammates would let it get to them. I'm like, Hey, take it on the field. Let your bats, let your bats and gloves show what's up. Don't, don't let them get to you. And, it, and what I enjoyed about it was it helped us level up. I mean, for me, it did. I'd be like, if you're going to say you're going to run on me and I used to be an outfielder and, and I, I was always known to throw people out. And so I was always like, in my head, I was like, ain't nobody runs on me. Hell no. And they'd be like, oh, well, I'm going to score on you from a pop-up. I'm like, good luck with that. And uh, it's always fun. Cause I'm not the one that's like, I don't get ego about it, but I'm just like, all right, let's see if this can happen. I like the competition. I like the, I like the, the intensity of it. Let's see what happens here. And then if I, if I end up throwing them out, I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I'm talking about. But then if it doesn't, it's like, I laugh it off and I'm like, cool. And it just made the game a lot more exciting. Yeah. It makes the game a lot more fun. <laughs> when you're young, you know, I mean, when you, I guess people use it for different reasons. Like if you're Michael Jordan, right, you're the best player on the planet and you're playing like in, uh, you know, I guess Detroit was, is a bad example, but it, 
I don't know who back then was an awful team. You know, maybe the Clippers were an awful team back then or whatever, but you're playing in LA and it's game 62 of a regular season on a Wednesday and it's a back-to-back, right? Like he needs motivation. And so there are tools like motivational self-talk, different energy, uh, breathing activities and stuff, but he would just, you know, he might just trash talk his opponent and try and get the guy to go at him a little bit so that he has a little bit more motivation to, uh, to play hard that day. Um, but it is fun, you know, so there's a difference between playfulness and kind of taking a little bit further, um, in, in competitive sports, a lot of times we take it a little bit further, which is, uh, it's not psychologically healthy necessary for the person practicing it or the person on the receiving side, like to, to apply those things, especially like in business settings, but, uh, <laughs> but it is fun. <laughs> you can't, there's no way around it. It is fun. If you're a competitive person, you know, it's something that just ups the stakes for people and, and makes you like a little bit more engaged. If you're having some issues with engagement, <laughs> I love that. Now, when it comes to the, you know, cause some people will say like, you know, okay, yeah, some Michael Jordan's just gifted. I remember growing up, people used to say that. And, and we talked, you've shared a lot of this already, which I appreciate very much. So, but I want to know from a brain side, um, can you strengthen and condition the brain just like we do our, with our bodies in a way to where we're able to teach ourselves and train ourselves to get to a certain level, to be a certain way and, and so forth to, and that doesn't have to be, in, it could be in sports, but it could also be in business as a, an executive or an entrepreneur and things like that. Uh, is there ways that uh, we can condition ourselves to that level? And then also sharing how. Yeah, a hundred percent. So all these techniques and tools that, uh, you know, performance psychologists use, um, they're, they're all, they're all validated. There's all studies that show that these things, you know, impact performance over time. Um, and, and the brain's highly malleable. There's something called neuroplasticity, but basically, you know, what, what we use, we, we strengthen connections for, for the things that we use, um, um, whether they're good or bad behaviors and habits. So there's, there's environmental design. So a lot of what we can do, there's all this work around what's called nudges, you know, Richard Thaler was, was kind of the big pioneer of this stuff, but, and that's like environmental design. Like if you, de- if you design a distraction-free environment, let's say you have to write and you design a distraction-free environment, set up a routine. Um, so routines plus environmental design, you know, so maybe it's like you put up a reason for why you want to write your, uh, you want to write your first book and you want to get five pages out a day or whatever. You, so you create goals, you have a long-term vision of why this is important. Um, you know, so you tap into a why you understand like, oh, I want to, I want my kids to be able to read what I wrote and in 10 or 20 years, I want my kids to be able to, to see who their, who their mom or dad was at this period in time. This is why I want to tell this story. Or like, I want to amuse people. I want to, I want to write the book that I want to read when I was a kid or whatever. So you're really tapping into your why and doing some of this values exploration on what kind of person you are and what you really value. So you're creating this long-term direction that's aligned with who you are and who you aspire to be. And you have some deep personal connection to that. And then you're creating this structure in your life where you have routines, you have an environment, like, okay, I have my dedicated writing space. When I go to that space, I'm only going to, I'm only going to sit down and write. If I'm not ready to write and it's not the right time of day for writing, I'm not going to go use that space. Um, then you have this little mood board of, of like famous writers and quotes from, you know, around through time, like people you really admire um, talking about why they write. And, and then, you know, you have like one little slogan that you look at, like, you know, give me five pages and then you get the rest of the day free or whatever, you know? So you start to create this environment with this overall vision of what you want to do. You start to set these very short-term, clear, specific goals. We use a model we call the step goal model, it's specific, tappable, energizing, and uh, practical. You know, specific just means like it's very clear. It's got like a number in it, like what you're going to do 
by when tappable means you have these environment, you have these like triggers or reminders up in your environment that help you remember, remember energizing. It's like connected to your deep values. And then practical is, you know, you can complete your, your weekly or biweekly goals, roughly 70% of the time. So if you only complete 20%, they're too hard. If you complete hundred percent, they're too easy. But so using these kind of frameworks and then, you know, in every one of these, like I was talking about the buckets before with like thrive, perform, develop, connect, sustain, and team. Every one of these, we have these core sets of tools that you can go and you can practice with and you can master that will just improve your ability to focus and refocus, to manage pressure, um, to just kind of train your mind. It's all just about like developing habits um, that, that continue to make us kind of more effective and, and more of the just unlocking the strengths that we have um, naturally and kind of building on those. I love that. I think that's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, in my world, the brain's plastic, you know, I study a lot of neuroscience and neurology and kind of what you're sharing is kind of those things, but you're making it fun. You're making it exciting. You're making it different. It's, it's not like uh, you're creating an environment for success too. Would you, is that correct? Yeah, hundred percent. So I didn't even get into that. So it's a, it's a good thing that you raised that, I guess, but you know, things are not fun. Like why, why bother? Right. Like a big part of engaging is just making it fun. So we have this little character we call Mojo. You know, just like at M1, we had this player and the player was supposed to be this basketball superhero, faceless, raceless embodiment of like the ultimate playground basketball player. At M1, we just have this little guy that's the, the little, we call him Mojo. You know, he's your little sensei. Uh, and then we try and use humor. We have a team of comedy writers um, and we just try and make this stuff fun and engaging and short. You know, part of one of the reasons we picked a chatbot format is like people don't want to go read books. And if you read books, generally you don't retain it and you don't apply it. And there's not what's called knowledge transfer. Right. But like, so there may be a couple big ideas in there, but there may be 50 big ideas, but you forget the majority of them. You, you can't remember when to use them and when to apply them in the right situations. So what we're trying to do is create like a fun, interactive, engaging experience that's dynamic, that gives you the right tool at the right time and kind of simulates that relationship you might have with like a really trusted coach. But whatever we do, you know, life is short and attention and time are limited. And if there's not a greater meaning for us, whatever that meaning is at the time, like your meaning might have been like, I want to be the best left fielder or whatever in the country or I want to be highly valuable to my team and win this championship together with my high school buddies or whatever it is. Right. But there has to be this sense of meaning and connection. And then it also has to be fun. Like if you're looking in the mirror every morning, more days than not, you have to say like, this is where I want to be. And this is what I want to do. Or you're just not going to be able to bring like passion and engagement to, to work. You know, if you just look at like the workplace engagement stats in America, you know, just so many people, uh, are just like unengaged and uh, don't enjoy what they're doing and dislike what they're doing. And then so many other people are obviously like unemployed or underemployed. And, uh, and so you just have, we just have to find ways. Like we have to, we have to be the people with agency over our own lives there and just find the elements. Even if we can't change our job, we can change our psychological framing of it and like mental approach to it. And you can find meaning doing anything. Like the, the research on meaning is clear. Like it doesn't matter what your job is, CEO of a large company stay-at-home dad, uh, garbage collector. Like, it doesn't matter what it is in any job. People find meaning, and there's also people that that lack meaning in the same jobs, you know, so. I love that. I, You know, it's one of the things, I, I talk a lot about this a lot. Like, it's, like, I don't like to read books. Uh, I don't like to work out, even though I'm in the fitness world, everyone's like, or in the health world, they're like, wait a minute, you don't like to work out? I'm like, majority of the time, no, I don't have fun exhausting myself uh, in a process to where, you know, I have to do that. But then they're like, then why do you do it? 
And then I'm like, here's how I change my value because then I go, I work out and I make sure I work out consistently every single week because I want to be my best version of me mentally, physically. I want to be able to have longevity in my life. I want to be able to sharpen my body and challenge it. And I go, when I can do it in that realm and make it competitive for myself, it becomes then fun in the way where I'm motivated enough to do it. Where if I just, someone tells me you need to work out because this is good for your health and that's it. Uh, there's not a lot of substance there. It's the same thing with um, writing a book. Same thing. I, I don't like, I mean, I, I, I've written a couple books. Don't enjoy the, I, I don't mind the writing process, but it's more of the excitement of what the reader's going to get that makes me want to write rather than me just going through the process. Cause that writing is not actually one of my greatest skill sets. <clears throat> If yeah, 100%. I mean, so you're tapping into something like, again, for, for everything, I apologize, we have these little acronyms, right? But like, so for motivation, we have this acronym called RISE. And it's based on self-determination theory and a bunch of other stuff. But you're tapping into a lot of these things. So like the R is about related, related to others that you care about and related to your future self. Um, and so when you're talking about writing, you're thinking about the readers and like the joy they may get or an insight or potentially you're going to nudge someone or change someone's life with like this chapter or whatever. That's that's using this R mechanism of relating to, you know, f- your future self or relating to others in this case. And then eyes around incentives. You know, there's these different types of incentives you can use, but it may be like, hey, if I work out, I'm going to go get that smoothie. You know, like, and then S, we have a bunch of different things, but it could be a skill development. So you may focus on one specific thing, like, hey, let me see if I get that personal best today in lifting or whatever. It can also be social. So you can invite in your, your friends or buddies and like have some kind of contest there. We usually put that in a different place. But and then there's these little motivational techniques called so, you know, uh, self-talk, motivational self-talk. And then the last one is, again, engaging. Um, so, you, you know, you may not want to work out, but like or you may not want to write, but you may go join a, a writing group, right? Um, and say like, yeah, I'm going to join a writing group uh, and I'm going to have to deliver 10 pages once a week and people are going to read my pages and there's a couple of buddies in there and I'm going to be embarrassed if my pages suck, you know, <laughs> and I'm going to read their pages. And so there's this like social accountability mechanism. So the foundational model we use on the motivational side is, is again, this like rise model, but it's it's based on a ton of science. And, and then we have all these little workouts and activities and coaching that you can do to kind of find find the little lever. It's not going to be the same thing every day. Like one day, you know, one day you're just not going to feel like working out and maybe your buddy's going to, you're going to get your buddy to go for a hike together or something. And you're going to use some social component. Another time you're going to think about, you know, your future self and how you want to be able to, you know, dance at your daughter's wedding or take your kids on a trip to Nepal or something. So you want to be in good shape for that or whatever, you know, so each day you're going to find this little different lever. Um, but finding your why and having those core values and then having these little toolkits where you can, uh, you can kind of, you can kind of keep yourself uh, moving towards that ultimate goal. Those, those are kind of the keys. I like that. I like how you guys have acronyms for, I'm assuming you probably have acronyms for a lot of things. Yeah. We have acronyms for everything. Because <laughs> it's an easier device for people to remember it. It also makes us limit ourselves to just three to four big ideas. Um, because if, you know, if you go, re- you go read, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of pages of research literature total on uh, you know, motivation. And like, ultimately, if you try and teach someone a hundred thousand things, people don't remember anything. So we want to just give you like the three to five big ideas um, and, and in a lot of variety and a lot of different applications. And then hopefully you can start to internalize those and apply them on your own. 
Totally. Yeah. And I think it's an easy way to remember things. It's an easy way to put things together. I mean, that's how I remember in chiropractic school, we had it for every little thing. We would put an acronym to it. So that way we can memorize it a little easier uh, and faster rather than trying to just memorize the sequence of the words and or the process or what comes with it or if there's a list or whatever it may be. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. It's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard to remember stuff without like an acronym. You know, there's there's all this work, all this work done on on memory and uh, and how people remember and stuff. But uh, acronyms are kind of a form of like chunking where it just makes it like a lot easier to have recall. And then each one of those things is really a little door or pointer where it's like, oh, if I remember R, then I can probably remember related. I can probably remember related to the future self or, or the others. And then, okay, I can kind of think of some applications of that or whatever. So there's these little like doorways into the uh, mini libraries or cubby holes where you have the other, you know, facts you need. <laughs> and that's kind of like, uh, cause I've, I've taken memory st- uh, classes or I took a class on memory where, you know, it's not about um, memory is really more about a working memory, not about a memory of um, how we learn in the sense in that right. if you can use your working memory, you can seem like a genius, no matter what your IQ is, rather than, you know, memorization in the process of literally reading something or over and over repetition until you get it. Um, and I'm assuming that's kind of like the acronyms. It's, it's more of an association where you remember the, the sequence of the words and it's like, oh yeah, A was for that. Oh yeah, B was for this or D was that. Um, and, and you can kind of connect the dots a little easier. I'm assuming that's how that all works based on what I understand. Yeah, hundred percent. It's just a, uh, it's like the working memory stuff you're talking about. You're right. That's like, it's very highly correlated with uh, perceived intelligence. It's a little bit different though. It's usually like digit span type stuff. Like how many digits can you recall? If I, if I give you a random string of digits and then they, they run a test like with and without distractions. So like if I say four, seven, five, nine, eight, whatever. And then I ask you to do like a little math test in the middle, like what's one plus one. And now I ask you, what are those digits or what are those digits backwards? You know, so that's working memory. That's like foundational to actually being able to pay attention and then actually hear the information accurately and be able to process it. Um, So that's memory formation. But but this is on the actual memory recall. So one of the big problems in learning is recall and transfer in the right specific situation right like maybe you remember maybe someone teaches you how to manage that pressure when you go into batter's box like look this guy's throwing hard you've had a rough time against him you're playing in a you're playing in a way game the crowd's going to be all over you you know <laughs> and here's what i want you to do i want you to do this little breathing technique and use this what's important now you know refocusing tool when you're in that box or use a pre-performance routine like every time between pitches you're going to step out you're going to you know take a deep breath you're going to say, you know, see the ball, hit the ball or whatever, hands in, you know, whatever, like your important, like instructional, physical, like behavior performance thing you want to remember or whatever. So you have this routine, but it doesn't help you if you don't remember it in a moment, right? Like, so if you go up there and you take three bad swings and then you're walking back to the dugout and you're like, crap, I was supposed to use what's important now. (laughs) And the tool, it's not helping you because you're failing at what's you're not remembering it at the right situation. You're not being triggered by the situation to remember the tool. And then, you know, maybe you learned it to hit better and manage your situation that batter's box, but now you're taking this standardized test, the SAT or whatever you're taking this, you know, sales exam or CFA charter exam or whatever. And, and you forget to apply what's important now. And then you're walking out thinking, Oh my gosh, I could have used what's important now. Then when I got super distracted and kept looking at the clock and kind of panicked, you know? So these are like instances of transfer, um, learning transfer, where you want to apply what you've learned in new contexts and new situations. And so until you practice with 
until you really practice with tools and kind of internalize them, it's better to have like five or 10 core tools that you can, you can apply and transfer in your life than to know thousands of things, you know? And that's like, that's obviously like an extreme statement or whatever, but just directionally, it's better to have this like small number of tools that are really part of you that you continue to, to apply, transfer, use in new situations, um, then they just keep trying to acquire new tools and new knowledge. You know, you bring up a great point. I think that's really valid in a lot of ways because I'm thinking about my own life and when uh, <clears throat> just in general in life, I always wanted to know a lot of things, right? And I always wanted to learn as much as I can. And I would study like in chiropractic. I mean, there's like 360 different ways a chiropractic adjustment could be applied. And I know about 10% of them. And that's a lot of techniques for a chiropractor to know. And, but they, if you ask me, what do I use in my office? Two, maybe three. Um, and what I learned over time is, you know, you develop this core that works for you. And it's great to have the other ones just in case, but it's like less than 5% of the time or even 3%, you may even use it. But it's really more of the, what's the core of what that is. And that, that has helped me not only in practice, but that's helped me in my businesses to where you really take, you know, don't need to know everything, don't need to do everything. It's just what is the main simple three to five things is, is based on kind of like the rules I put on myself for um, to apply and then, you know, and, and, and utilize. And it usually works out really well. It's kind of interesting how that works. Yeah, hundred percent, you know, but you might've needed to try like those hundred or 200 techniques that you tried to figure out for me, I think these are the five or 10 big ones, you know, like, uh, so totally. you have to have a wide search space and you have to try a lot of stuff. And then you have to have familiarity, even if you don't remember it, like you may just see this patient and you may be like, you know what, this kind of reminds me of that one neck adjustment I learned or whatever. Let me go, let me go call my friend or let me go check a book real quick and like figure out if there, if there's something here that I may need to try something different. So you need to have some familiarity where you at least know where to go look. And it's like, yeah, this may be something different, but for the most part, you have to be able to go apply those in your case, maybe it's two, maybe it's five, whatever, but those two, two to five core techniques, but apply them well. And you may know, okay, in this case, I have to change the pressure a little, or I have to apply this a little bit differently, or I have to change the length or duration. And like, you can't get to mastery without, without real like tool understanding, um, you know, so that's the same thing we're trying to do is we're giving you these frameworks, like this core model of how the mind works and like what mental fitness is and, and like basically how to live your best life. Um, and then inside each of these buckets, we have all these different tools that you can apply in different times. Um, but ultimately you may just, you may just end up with three tools, five tools that you use all the time, but you, you continue to go deeper in like how you use them. Right. But the other tools are there if you ever need them. Yeah, that's, I, I couldn't, I'm a big fan of that approach. And I think that's just my personality too, where it's like, I want to know all that I can and then I'll fine tune it down to that core to work with. And I love how you brought that up. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Tom, I can, I can talk all day with you, brother, on a lot of these concepts, psychology and all this other good stuff that we're diving into. But um, before we wrap things up, I want to know uh, for the listeners, how can they connect with you, find you and, and, and see what you're up to, the, the, all that you're doing uh, and get connected in many different ways? Yeah, definitely. So, our, I mean, our core website is uh, getconfidently.com. So it's G-E-T-C-O-N-F-I-D-E-N-T-L-Y.com, getconfidently.com. You can email me at tom at getconfidently.com or you can find me on LinkedIn, you know, just Tom and look for confidently or and one. And, you know, those are kind of the best ways. Um, just reach out and happy to talk to you. 
Awesome. Tom, I want to appreciate you taking time to come out here uh, and join, share some space with us and let me uh, pick your brain on all this great things that you're doing, man. I, I love what you're up to uh, and uh, all that you've been doing and, uh, you know, keep up that great work. We can definitely uh, uh, help level us up in many different ways when it comes to performance and so much more. Yeah, thanks, Vic. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man, and uh, appreciate your energy. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For past shows, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. I hope this show inspired you and added to your life to help you on the journey to rediscover who you really are. To connect with us on Facebook, please visit www.facebook.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. Check us out on Twitter. The handle is Dr. Vic 21. Follow us on Instagram, www.instagram.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. If you were inspired by the podcast, pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it. Thank you again for listening to the Mindful Experiment podcast, sharing paths to help you rediscover your infinite potential. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing it with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. Until next time, keep rocking and rolling.